2. Let's pray, and we're going to dig into the text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now, as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. I pray also, Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. We also pray for those who are new here today, that they would feel welcomed and loved. So be glorified in everything that happens here, Lord. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. quick background, and I do mean quick because we got a lot of pages of notes this morning, okay? <laughs> so Revelation, as we know, John, when the book was written, John is the last surviving apostle. All the other apostles have been martyred, and John was only alive because God wouldn't let him die. They tried to boil him in oil. He didn't die. He was put out on the island of Patmos, which was a rock, uh, basically a penitentiary out on a rock, and it was there that God appeared to him and showed him the things that were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. And so the first thing we saw in chapter one is a picture of Jesus in heaven. And so we, when we think of Jesus, we some think of him as a baby in a manger. We also think of him as, as a savior on a cross, right? And a risen and living savior. But when we saw that picture of him in heaven, uh, we just see just the, the, just the awe-inspiring picture of our Savior. And now as we get to chapter 2 and 3, so those are the picture of heaven. Chapter 2 and 3 is uh, the letters to the seven churches. We're going to be looking at the fourth one this morning. And each of these letters to these churches, all, virtually all of them would start off with what they were doing well as a local church, and then areas where they needed to be exhorted or even rebuked if necessary. And in each case, he would give an attribute of himself in heaven, the picture that we saw in heaven that would apply to that church that they needed to be woken up. So not only does it apply to the church 2,000 years ago, it applies to this church today. Amen? Now, when we get to chapter 4, we're going to see just, again, the future events that are coming. At the end of chapter 3, at the end of the church age, John's going to get snatched up and be looking down from a heavenly perspective. The word there is harpazo, where we get the word for rapture. And then from that point on, you don't see the church listed again until the end of the book. So in a couple weeks, we'll be in chapter 4 looking at things which are to come. Now, the four churches so far that we've looked at, the three churches that we looked at so far quickly, first was the church at Ephesus. And if you remember, when we were going through the church at Ephesus, they looked really great. They were doing all the good works, and if you read the first part of the, the letter to them, it really looks fantastic. Like, this is a church I'd want to attend. But at the end of it, he says, but this I have against you, you've left your first love. Guys, it doesn't matter how many good works we do if we don't love Jesus, amen? If good works were enough, then, then you, know, you could just get saved by being a nice person. But the reality is that we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And without the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, you cannot be forgiven. And if you lose your first love, if you walk away from the Lord, it's time to get back and get right with Him. Amen? Then the second church we saw was the persecuted church. And that was a church at Smyrna. And if you remember just all the trials they went through, and just the calling God had on their life to stand for the Lord in the midst of their persecution. If you were here, I titled that message, Remaining Faithful in the Midst of the Storm. You know how we, why we can remain faithful? Because of who we serve. We serve the Lord so we can remain faithful. Because Jesus knows. Whatever you're going through this morning, Jesus knows. And He loves you. Amen? We also know that it's temporary. This is for but a little while. Time is coming to an end. You know, whether it's when we die on earth or when the Lord comes back for us, and then finally, because it's always worth it. And then last week, if you were here, we looked at the church of Pergamos. And the Pergamos was 
one that was compromising in their walk with the Lord. And we tell the message over uh, overcoming compromise. So now this morning, we're going to come to uh, chapter 2, verse 18, and we're going to look there at the church, the corrupt church in Thyatira. And we'll talk about Thyatira in some detail, but if you have your outline, grab it, and we'll go through it quickly. You can see there's a lot of points there. I tell the message, when God's people won't stand for truth. When God's people won't stand for truth. And I'm talking about the truth, not a truth, not my truth, not your truth, the truth. Amen? And what happens when God's people won't stand for truth? When they elevate tolerance above holiness. That word's real big trigger today. We're tolerant. Well, I don't, you know what? I love you enough not to tolerate your sin and please don't tolerate mine. Can I get an amen to that? We don't tolerate sin above holiness. And so when God's people won't stand for truth, We've forgotten who's watching. Guys, it doesn't matter what the world thinks of us. Again, we want to be kind, we want to be loving, we want to be gracious, we want to represent Christ well, but we're not trying to win a popularity contest with the world, amen? We want to be faithful before God. Point number two, our good works will not be enough to overcome our tolerance for evil. Do you know that all the good works in the world will not wash away one sin? doesn't matter how many good works you do. Number three, When we don't stand up for the truth, false teachers will go unchecked. And that's going to be a major portion of this morning's text. Uh, A woman referred to as Jezebel getting up and teaching a false gospel and the people tolerating it. And that happens in the church today. Number four, rebellious living will replace brokenness and repentance. When we don't stand for truth, living a sinful life, living a fleshly life will be tolerated by the church, accepted as okay. And again, we don't want to be self-righteous sin sniffers walking around and pointing everybody else's life. Amen, right? <laughs> right? We don't need to be doing that. But that being said, we need to love each other enough that what cuz sin brings about destruction and death. And sin's not bad because it's forbidden, it's forbidden because it's bad. Amen? Cuz God knows it's harmful to us and when we don't stand for truth, People will call themselves Christians, and you'll never know the difference. They'll live in rebellious ways. Number five, God will bring divine discipline. You know, those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. He disciplines us in hopes of getting our attention. Number six, the Lord will encourage the faithful to hold fast. When we're not standing for the truth, there's always a remnant that will. There's always those who will stand for the truth when nobody else will. There's, there's always the Daniels, right? There's always the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, the Josephs, right? The, the ones who will stand when nobody else will. And my prayer is in your neighborhood, in your workplace, maybe even in your own family, may you stand for truth when nobody else will. And then finally, the Lord will reward those who endure to the end. So let's begin there. Like I said, we got a lot of pages of notes, so let's get with it. So Revelation chapter 2, beginning there in verse 18, when God's people won't stand for truth, when they elevate tolerance above holiness. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write. Now, as we've gone through each of these churches, I tell you a little bit about the city, because if you don't know the context, right, you take a text out of context, all you got left is a con, Amen. And so when you understand the city and what's going on in the city, it'll better help you understand why the Lord addressed them in the way that he did. Now, first, he does say there to the angel of the church. We talked about this with each of the other three. Angel is messenger. It could be a, a messenger that overlooks the church in the spiritual realm, but I really think this letter is being written to the local pastor. So the pastor in Thyatira is getting this letter from John. Again, God wrote it. 
through the Apostle John. It gets delivered to him, and it's an exhortation to him on how to respond to what's going on in those days. Let me tell you a little bit about Thyatira. It's located about 40 miles southeast of Pergamos that we looked at last week, and it was an area that was very rich agriculturally. Uh, It was famous for its production. It was known for its production of purple dye. Now, purple dye in those days was very, very rare and very, very expensive. And when you were in royalty or you someone was wealthy, you would wear purple to show people, you know, instead of wearing bling, they wore purple, right? (laughs) So they would just, you know, be dressed in purple. And, you know, when people have it, they like to flaunt it. And so they wore purple. And this purple dye was manufactured in Thyatira. Again, a very scarce and very valuable so when you saw someone wearing it, you knew they were extremely wealthy, and, and again, people who have it flaunt it. Now, do you guys remember a woman by the name of Lydia in the Bible? Okay, so Lydia is mentioned in Acts 16, and Paul's second missionary journey. She was a woman who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. She and her household were all baptized, and she begged Paul and his traveling companions to come stay in her home, and she was described as a seller of purple from Thyatira. So she was a person from Thyatira. I don't know for sure, but it could be that she's the one that brought the gospel to Thyatira after meeting with Paul, after coming to know the Lord, after her whole family was baptized. And so here, so we see that connection between the purple and Thyatira. So Thyatira was the smallest and the least important of these seven cities, had the least amount of people. And the ancient writer, ancient writer once said this, Thyatira and other unimportant cities. Now, I was going to give a city that's unimportant, but then it's probably where you grew up, and then I'd be in trouble, so I'm not going to do that. I was going to say Bakersfield or something, right? (laughs) I just got in trouble with three people from Bakersfield. But what's amazing is this is a city that is seen as the smallest and the least among it, and they got the longest letter, the longest letter that came from God through the apostle uh, John. And again, they receive this letter because God sees all, and no one is insignificant or unimportant to our Savior. Amen? Thyatira might have been seen as insignificant to the world, but not insignificant to God. I want to tell you something. Last couple weeks, I've been really overwhelmed by the amount of people that have called me and reached out to me, uh, and ministry is all about people. And I've gotten more calls in two weeks than I've probably gotten the six months prior, including another kid died of a fentanyl overdose. You know, and I'm trying to minister to that family, uh, coworkers, just people, right? It's, it's all about people, right? It's all about people. Matter of fact, just pray for me. I, I don't plan on sharing this. I'm praying about quitting my job. And the reason I'm praying about quitting my job is I have a little bit of time left. I want to be about it for the kingdom of God. So just pray for us, amen? But God sees all. Thyatira, though small, was an important city. And, and one of the things they were known for is they had trade guilds. You're asking me, why, does, why are you telling me about trade guilds? Let me tell you why. They're kind of like unions. And what it was, you could not participate or you could not work if you didn't belong to one of these guilds. So they had, they're like modern day unions, they had workers in wool, workers in linen, they had dye makers, potters, bakers, workers in bronze, even slave traders. And you had to be a part of that union or that guild or you could not participate. Now this doesn't seem like a big deal, so just join the, just join the guild, join the union. Well, here's the problem. Every single one of these guilds was tied to an idol. And if you were to work in that guild, you had to go and worship that false idol. 
And, those, and what would typically happen, the guilds would meet, and they would you know, talk about their industry, and then it would turn into a drunken party, and then a lot of it would be followed by sexual immorality and the worship of these false gods. So you had a choice to make if you're a Christian in Thyatira. You either could not get a job, and you could not work, and you could not provide for your family, or you had to compromise and join the guild and be surrounded by sexual immorality and be surrounded by idolatry and in some level participate in it so you could feed your family. Now, when I read about this, it sounds like some of the company functions that I've, my, the companies I've worked for have had, right? The, part, the, the, the meeting ends and then in comes the liquor and then it's, it's out of control and it's a train wreck. So nothing new under the sun, Amen. And I'm just sharing this with you because the strength of the guilds is very difficult, almost impossible, again, to provide for your family. So joining it, you would then have to be involved with the worship of pagan deities. If you guys remember last week in Pergamos, they had to go and burn incense to the Caesar, right, as an act of worship. And if they didn't do that, they, they couldn't get a job. And so to you just go burn some incense and, you know, just for a few minutes, worship the false gods so, God, so then you can go provide for your family. So that's called compromise. And today it's the same thing here. It's corruption. So are we willing to compromise? Here's the reality. We've all compromised for less at some point in our life. Can I get an amen to that? And so this was huge. And, and here's the sad part. If you were to show up at the union meeting and when there were immorality and everything going on, and they knew you were a Christian, what does that do to the name of Christ? I thought you were a Christian. Oh, you're just like the rest of us. You party and drink. You know, the people in my office, you know, they go out to lunch often, and they'll, they, they don't invite me. <laughs> don't invite me. Don't ask me if I want to go to Hooters for lunch. That's what's not happening. <laughs> so these sacrifices are being made. They're eating food sacrificed to idols. Drunken debauchery, sexual immorality. It's a standard agenda for the guild meetings. And so now the dilemma for the Christian is be separated. Don't join the guild. Don't, or you, or, and face the harsh reality of being nearly impossible to get work. Or try to justify joining by saying, you know, my kids got to eat. Man's got to eat and compromise a little bit. You know, God knows it's okay. No doubt many of us, again, have faced similar dilemmas. So the compromise, it corrupts the church, it destroys our testimony as the world sees us being no different than they are. And again, if they saw you at the guild meeting, they would think, look, another Christian hypocrite. They preach one thing and then they live something else. So the angel of the church is getting this letter. This is Thyatira. We got a, got a picture of it now. We see what's going on in the city. You see what the Christians are dealing with. This is what's happening. And then it says this. These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. So each one of these letters, we see one of the attributes from chapter 1, where we see Jesus being described in heaven. And each one gives one of those characteristics of him, attributes about Jesus, that would apply to that city and what they were going through. So, first of all, it says he's the Son of God. Jesus reminds them of his deity. He is God Almighty. Amen? He's the all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty God. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the creator of all things. Without him, our lives are worthless and meaningless, and it's all about Jesus. Amen? 
And he's reminding them he is the son of God. So when the compromise, well, it's just a little compromise. It's just a little bit turning away from God, just a little bit. He's reminding them that he is God. By the way, he's also Lord God, our provider. So if we honor God, do you think he'll provide? What's the answer? If we don't go to the guild meeting, if we say, forget it, I'm not going, maybe we'll struggle, and maybe we'll struggle, for, but God will provide. And he's a faithful God, and we can trust him. Again, thankful for that. And Thyatira needed to be reminded as they had lost their fear of God and respect for him, and they were compromising in their stand concerning the false gods of this world. And then it says he was one with eyes like flame of fire. If Jesus comes to you with his eyes on fire looking at you, not good. Can I get an amen to that? If his eyes are on fire and he's looking at you, you're in trouble. It's not a good thing. Judgment's coming. It speaks of the fact that God sees everything. Amen? The thing you do in secret, you think nobody else knows, God knows. The thing that you've kept, you know, you, you, you erased your history on your website, right? God knows, amen? Whatever those things are that you do in secret, it's maybe secret from the world, but it's not a secret from God. And God sees all. He has flame, eyes with flames of fire. In Hebrews, it says, everything is naked and open before him. Jesus sees everything, including those who are compromising in the trade guilds of Thyatira. They might have snuck in without anybody at church seeing them. They might have went and got it done and got back out so they could be okay. But God saw it, and we're not going to get over on God. Flaming fire again, not only does he see everything, but he righteously judges all that he sees. He's the standard for judgment, not the culture. I'm so sick and tired of the church trying to become more like the culture. We are not to be impacted by the culture. We are to have an impact on the culture. Amen? We're to stand for the things of God when the world says it's okay. The world is so confused, and the world is so lost, and we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? We need to pray for them. We need to love them the way that the Lord loves them. But we must not allow the culture to impact us. The holiness and purity of God and Almighty and His Word is the standard, not the culture. Church in Thyatira had abandoned his standard for the world's standard. Everyone else is doing it. Well, the Bible says, brought us the road to destruction, and most people are going to hell. So you want to be on that track? Pastor Dave's being real direct this morning. But here's the reality. Brought us the road that leads to destruction. And again, we, are, we should never be self-righteous. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen. But when we say that, when we use the world as the reason why we do things, we're already wrong. Because we don't follow the world, we follow the Lord. Amen? The culture had become the plumb line instead of the word of God. Notice it says its feet are like fine brass. If you've been here for the Old Testament, brass always speaks of judgment. Brass or bronze always speaks of judgment. Remember the bronze serpent on the pole? Right? We talked about this. And that, you know, they looked to it and were. Redeemed, a bronze altar is where they sacrifice the animals, and bronze speaks of judgment. So Jesus not only sees, but he also righteously judges, coming down on the unrighteous and unrepentant with both feet. The words this corrupt and compromising church needed to hear. Now again, our God's, we don't have, there's two extremes, right? God's all grace, and he is a God of grace, 
But grace is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Amen? And grace is not an excuse. Well, I'm under grace. We had that go through our church in Santa Cruz for a while, and you know, guys would come and meet with me. Well, I'm under grace, Pastor, and you talk about how I have to live a holy life, but I'm under grace. I said, yeah, because of God's grace, you should live a holy life. Amen? And there's this conflict. But then you have, so you have the all grace people, and then you got the all law people over here. And they're trying to earn heaven. And they'll tell you just how amazing they are and how you, you have a television? I thought you were saved. But it's, you know, the legalistic people. So you got legalism on one end and you got grace on the, you know, you know, cheap grace on the other end. And the reality is we are saved by grace, but the fruit of a transformed life is that we live a holy and set apart life. Amen? Holiness is not the source of salvation. Not our holiness is the source of salvation, but it is the fruit of salvation. We're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? So they lost their fear of God as a righteous judge, and he is gracious and loving, but he's also holy. And we talked about this. God can't have one sin in heaven, or what does he have? Earth part two. So we can't have one sin in heaven. It's one sin in the Garden of Eden that brought about death and pain and sorrow on this planet, brought about the separation from Almighty God. But because Jesus died on the cross, we can be restored to him. So point number one there. When God's people won't stand for the truth, we've forgotten who's watching. People in Thyatira had forgotten that God was watching, that many of them were compromising and going to the guild meeting and participating in sexual immorality and living a life contrary to the word of God. And they thought they were just getting away with it. And they needed to know that God was watching. But point number two, our good works will not be good enough, will not be enough to overcome our tolerance for evil. Look at verse 19. I know your works, love service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. He's letting Thyatira know, I see your good works. He's telling the church through the pastor, I see your good works. And these are wonderful things that are listed here. So Thyatira was busy in a hardworking church. In many ways, Thyatira appeared to be a model church. They had love. I'll give you one guess for what that word love is in Greek. What is it? It's agape. It's a selfless love, a love someone outside of itself more than itself. And he says, you're known for being loving. You're known for loving other people more than you love yourself. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But he says, I also know your service. Again, they were busy in a hardworking church. They were ministering to the needs of others. The word service there is where we get the word deacon, diakonos, right? It's where we get the term for a deacon, ministering to the physical needs of people who are hurting. Isn't that something the church should be doing? Absolutely. We should be ministering to the physical needs. He also speaks there of their faith. The word faith there is belief, assurance, conviction. The believers in Thyatira did not hide their faith. Believe that Jesus is the Savior, the Creator, God who came to earth in human flesh. Their statement of faith was probably hanging in the foyer. This is what we believe, and this is who we are, and we love people, and we serve with the heart of servants, and we have faith in Almighty God. These are all wonderful things. Rock solid, unwavering, on the mark. And then the word patience, the word hupomone, we've talked about this before, to stand under, right? We stand under the heavy weight. And this is patience where you remain steadfast, even as the weight pours out upon you. And again, these believers weren't quitters, but were remaining steadfast and faithful. So they had conviction and they had consistency. And that's a great combination in the life of a believer. And then he says, as for your works, the last are, are more than the first. This is a high compliment 
Not only did they have these works, but they were increasing in measure. They were doing more and more. They were serving more and more. They were loving more and more. Their faith was growing more and more. And again, the Lord always starts off with how they're doing well. But there's a nevertheless coming in here somewhere, right? Not only did they have these works, but they, again, were increasing. They're growing in love and service and faith and patience. And it would be great if the letter ended right there. If you were the pastor of the church, you would hope that's, I hope that's a period after that and we're done. I'm going to go and tell everybody how amazing we're all doing. But guess what happens? False teachers will go unchecked. See, here's what happens. They were doing good service. They were doing good works. They were loving people and they were patient. But they were not guarding the Word of God. And they were not guarding what was being taught in, from their pulpits and their church. And imagine the guy getting this letter is the pastor. And some people get frustrated with me because I'm not a big guy to have... If you figured this out, we don't have a whole lot of guest speakers around here. Amen? We just don't. Not that there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but if I'm gone, one of the assistant pastors teaches because I want them to grow in their gifting, and I don't believe that, you know, this is not... I, I guard this. I guard this because I'm accountable for what comes from this. Can I get an amen to that? We're not going to have any politicians up here. It's not going to happen, okay? No comedians, none of that. We're going to teach the Bible, amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So he's saying to the pastor, yeah, you're faithful. You guys are serving. You guys are loving. But, and here it is, here's that word you don't want to see. Nevertheless, despite all the good, despite all the good Jesus sees in the church of Thyatira, there's a significant problem, and here it is. I have a few things against you. I don't want to hear that from Jesus. How about you? Now, I'm, he, I'm, I guarantee he's had things against me. How about you? But if the Lord's writing you a letter and he's telling you, Dave, you're doing a good job. And by the way, nevertheless, got a few things against you. Right? And here it comes. The word against there denotes opposition and intensity. He's not just saying, I got a few things against I got a few things against you. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, Lord, who sees all things, who knows all things. And he's got a few things against them. What brings such intensity of opposition to the church of Thyatira from the heart of God? And here it is. You ready? Because you allowed that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Well, now that's a verse and a half right there. <laughs> now I have this against you. You could be nicer. That's not what it says. You got that woman Jezebel up there behind the pulpit preaching a false gospel and seducing my people into sexual immorality. That's what you're doing in your church. What in the world is wrong with you? You can see some intensity coming from our Savior. Again, why would we teach anything but the Bible, and why would we have anybody teach anything that doesn't have, is not filled with the Holy Spirit and called and gifted by God to teach the Bible? Amen? We don't do tryouts up here, amen? This is when God's word. And eat things sacrificed to idols. So the center of the corruption of the church was this woman Jesus calls Jezebel. Now some debate whether this is actually her name or it's a title. I don't think it's her name. You know why I don't think it's her name? Because the Jezebel we know about in the Bible is all the way back with King Ahab. You remember her? 
And King Ahab married this woman, and she brought the worship to Baal and Ashtaroth into Israel. And if you'll remember that she's one where Elijah called fire down from the sky, and all the prophets of Baal were wiped out, and Jezebel was just an ungodly woman. So I guarantee you, New, New Testament Christians were not going through, let me see, what's a good name for our baby girl? Let me find one. Oh, Jezebel, I like the sound of that. What did she do? What, no, wait a minute. Do you know how her life ended? Who knows? She was eaten by dogs. She was cast down and eaten by dogs. I'm not naming my... No, wait, wait a minute. So that's why I don't think her name's Jezebel. Because no one's naming her kid Hitler, amen? No one's came in the name of their kid. You met any Judases lately? Right, amen? So I don't think, so I think this is a type or a picture of what this woman was. Whatever her name was, she was a Jezebel. She was come, someone coming in and bringing corruption into the church, and they were allowing it. And you know who's most accountable of everybody in the room? That pastor that got this letter. Amen? You let that vile woman get up and teach my people accountability is coming. Again, this woman had been a vile example of someone who was attacking the truth and was an ungodly woman. And Jezebel has been named to become synonymous with evil. And again, most likely a title for an evil woman rather than an actual name. Doubtful parents would again name their daughter Jezebel. So he's exhorting them and he's calling them out for what they have done. And again, she calls herself a prophetess. By the way, anybody that introduces me with a title, I'm worried about you already. My name is, you know, Prophet Daniel. Really? (laughs) And the first time you're wrong, are we going to call you False Prophet Daniel? How many times does a prophet have to be wrong to be a false prophet? There you go. Well, she's a prophetess, but she's actually a false prophetess as her prophetic claims contradicted the word of God. And Jesus had this against them, that they allowed her to teach lies and false doctrine. Sometime back, I was watching this thing on Dateline. This was years ago. And they were, it was a, supposed to be a Christian church. And they had this woman who called herself a prophetess. And they showed her teaching. And she said to the pastor that your wife is going to die. And I'm going to be your wife And we're going to lead this church into a closer relationship with God. And she said she's going to die on December 18th. She didn't die on December 18th. So you're a false prophetess. So then she pulls the pastor aside and says, well, God wants you to finish the job for him. So he killed his wife. Jezebel. Amen? Amen. And then he ended up marrying another woman, not her, so she got mad, and it was just a big mess. So here's the point. She should have never been teaching anybody anything. Amen? And everybody who does teach, it's held to a higher level of accountability. Look, I, I'm a sinner saved by grace. There's not, I don't, I'm not more, uh, more, more staunch in my faith than you necessarily, right? This is the gifting God's called me to, but it's also a gifting that comes with great responsibility and high accountability. Amen? When I said I forgot on Judgment Day, he's going to go, okay, yeah, let's go through all your messages now, <laughs> right? And we need to come in humility. And he said, so because you allow that woman gentle, and the, Jezebel, and the word you there is singular, that's why he seems to be talking to the pastor. You let that woman, Jezebel, speak from your pearl. Oh, no. 
Jesus said this, then false prophets will rise up and deceive many. These words were first spoken with a view of the end times, but there have always been those who call themselves prophets in the church, and they are not. All gifts and prophecy is to be tested against what? What's the final court of authority? What is it? Word of God. Every false church has a false prophet that led it. Again, we love the Mormons. Amen? Joseph Smith is a false prophet. Amen? He got up. He said he had this interaction with the angel Moroni. He preaches a false gospel. By the way, here's how you know. Almost all, all the cults are do the same thing. They make Jesus less and man more, and they all feed man's flesh. If you're a Mormon man, this sounds like a pretty good gig. Here's why. Oh, by the way, if you're a good man, you get to be God of your own planet. Really? I get to be God? Okay. And by the way, you're going to need to populate that planet. So we're going to give you a whole bunch of women. Now, is that feeding the flesh or the spirit of a man? Which is that? Right? When people say that the word of God was just written by men, you know how we know one of the thousands of reasons we know it was written by God? Because nothing in the Bible feeds the flesh of man. It puts it to death. If men wrote it, they would say, you'll be God of your own planet. And you can have as many women as you want. That's the Mormon church. Amen? Muhammad, false prophet, proclaimed to be God, right? He was the prophet of the sword. You either repent or we're going to slit your throat. And he was a man, he too was a pedophile. I mean, all these guys were feeding their flesh. And so we see these false teachers, these false prophetesses are always... And then what about the name and acclaimant movement on TV today? Is that feeding the spirit of the flesh? You just have to claim it and just send us a $1,000 love offering and you'll have a Cadillac in your drive. What a bunch of nonsense. It doesn't say die to yourself, take up the cross and follow him. It's, he's the holy lottery. Give God stuff. He's the Santa Claus in the sky. See, these are what false prophets do. They preach something contrary to the truth of the word of God. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Amen? Don't get a whole lot of seed offerings sent to your church when you preach that message, amen? We never allow the words of men. We must never allow the words of men or women to go above the word of God. Don't be quick to give yourself a title. God is working through you and in you. You don't need to publicize it, amen? I told you that when people send me stuff in the mail and it says, Reverend, I know they don't know me, Right? Because we don't give ourselves title, but we humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. I pray they forget all of our names and remember His. That's all we want. So what was the false prophetess proclamation? To teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Again, it was the doctrine of Balaam, right? Feeding your flesh. She was teaching that Christians could participate in sexual immorality at the trade, you know, at the trade guild meetings. And, you know, man's got to eat, right? So go ahead, and you can go participate in that. You can partake in, in these feasts and still be okay with God. If you guys were here when we were in 1 John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, there was a group called the Gnostics. And what the Gnostics believed was, if you give your soul to the Lord, you give your spirit to the Lord, your flesh can do whatever it wants because your flesh is evil. Isn't that convenient? So your spirit will be saved for all eternity, and you can go live like the devil until you get to heaven. But the Bible tells us if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Amen? And so the things that God forbids from us, again, he's not keeping us from fun, but he's keeping us from harm. 
And what God has for us is so much better. Jezebel was an immoral and ungodly false prophetess who had been given a place of influence in the church and was leading others into sin, into sexual immorality, and into idolatry. Why would the Lord's servants fall for these lies? Because it catered to their fleshly desires. My prayer is that you're mad at me some of the time. And what I mean by that is that I love you enough that I'm just going to tell you the truth. By the way, you get it for an hour, I get it for 40, so I got beat up way more than you did, okay? So I get convicted all week, and you get convicted for an hour. But, if there, but conviction is a good thing, amen? If you go to church and you don't get convicted, you need to find another church. Because conviction is the Holy Spirit grabbing a hold of us and helping us recognize who God is and what He's done for us and where we've fallen short and how we need to surrender our lives to Him. So the monthly guild meeting was now a time of fulfilling fleshly desires instead of making a spiritual stand for the truth through God's Word. One ancient Christian named Tertullian wrote about the Christians who made their living uh, in trades connected to pagan idolatry, and, and he just talked about how a painter might find, a work, might find work in a pagan temp, temple or a sculptor might be hired to sculpture a statue of a pagan god, and they would justify it by saying, well, this is my living and I have to live. I had a friend that came to me, and he was a construction worker. This was in Santa Cruz, and he said, I just got this big job in Utah. I'm building a huge temple for the Mormon church. I think that meeting went. So how does it feel to be a tool Satan anyway? I'm just curious. Amen? Guys, we don't want a prophet promoting something that's from the devil. Amen? Hey, we have a lot of people in the... In the you know, Hollywood industry in this church. And, I want to, and I tell you, I'm going to love you no matter what, but you know what? Don't compromise and be involved in a project that is dishonoring to the Lord, saying, I need to do it to make money. Can God provide for you without you dishonoring Him? What's the answer? Okay, and that's true for all of us. Our belief is reflected by our behavior and is by our fruit that we are known, and we must not fall for that Gnostic lie that as long as we believe, it doesn't matter how we behave. And I'm gripped by so many who claim to be Christians because they prayed a prayer and walked an aisle a long time ago, but their lives are living just like the world, driven by the flesh. We need to put the flesh to death, amen? I tell you, I get up in the morning, and when I'm shaving every morning, I look in the mirror and I see the enemy. Dude's got to die, amen? Got to die. I got to die to myself every day. How about you? Lord, help me. Lord, I need you today. The point number two, their false teachers will go unchecked. These false teachers rise up and deceive many. Point number four, rebellious, rebellious living will replace brokenness and repentance. Look at verse 21. It says there, And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Now here we see the grace of God, right? So when we sinned, we're convicted. And that conviction is an opportunity to do what? to repent, to turn around. The Lord loves you, and when you, when you get caught up in your flesh and you're headed in the wrong direction, you know, the Holy Spirit head slap, right? And he says, look, son, I love you. You need to get back right with me. Lord, if you, son, if you keep going that direction, you're going to get destroyed. It's going to bring harm. It's going to destroy your marriage, your family, your testimony, the ministry you're called to. It's all going to be destroyed. Look, I love you. And, and he gives me a swat and brings me back. And he's doing the same for even Jezebel. 
That's a gracious God, amen? Because there was a male version of, Je- not quite Jezebel, but there was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And he was out hunting down Christians, right? He was the arch enemy of the Christian church, and then the Lord appeared to him, and he did repent and became the Apostle Paul. And you could argue the greatest Christian who ever lived, and God used him to write most of the New Testament because God can take someone who's living a wicked and perverse life and bring conviction, and they can repent and be used mightily by God, and that means he can use anybody in this room. Amen? I'm thankful for that. And we're no better than anybody else. We see somebody struggling there before the grace of God goes every one of us. We must never be self-righteous. We must always point to the word repent, we know that, to think differently, to reconsider, to turn around, to turn away, to change your mind. In this verse, we see both the mercy and the judgment of our Lord. This woman was living a life, not only of personal rebellion and wickedness, but she was seducing Christians into sinful behavior. Is there anything that would make you more angry than seeing somebody harm and take advantage of one of your children. Five foot one, 85 pound mama take down a grizzly bear going after Can I get an amen to that? We're God's children. When Jezebel is coming after his kids, he gives her a chance to repent. But if she won't, he's coming hard. Can I get an amen to that? Because those who the Lord loves, he disciplines, and those who are attacking his children are going to face the wrath of God. He's a holy God. Why does God allow some to continue in such open rebellion, especially those who blaspheme his name and cause others to stumble or use his name for personal gain and fleece the weak? Lord, why don't you just strike them down with a bolt of lightning, Lord? Am I the only one that's ever thought of that? (laughs) Following in the example of James and John, right? The sons of thunder. You know why he doesn't? Because he's merciful. We all want mercy for us. Can I have some mercy, please, and some grace? Smoke them! Mercy for me. <laughs> little Rob McCoy coming out of me right there. But you know what I mean? It's like, it's that thing where we, we want mercy for us. We want mercy for those we love, and we want judgment for everyone else. And the reality is, I'm thankful for God's grace and mercy, aren't you? When righteous judgment finally does come, you can rest assured that there have been both time and opportunity to repent. Nobody's going to stand before God on Judgment Day and say, I, I never had a chance to repent. Every, everybody's had a chance to repent. Amen? I truly believe that every believer, every unbeliever that ends up in hell has to run, through the cross, run over the cross of Christ to get there. That the Lord continues to reach out. The Lord loves us so much, He'd rather die than live without us. He proved it on the cross. Amen? And he's going to give people opportunity after opportunity to be saved. And if we end up in hell separated from him, it's not his fault, it's our fault because we rejected him reaching out to us over and over again. Amen? He's a loving God. He was merciful toward Jezebel, but she did not repent. She knew what she was doing. God confronted her in her sin. She stiffened her heart and continued to walk in it. Brought conviction upon by his Holy Spirit, and she did not respond with brokenness and repentance, but a hard heart and continued rebellion. God gives us time to repent, but it's not an unlimited amount of time. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Amen? It says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. Each of us has been given both time and opportunity to repent. And I pray if you're here and you've never fully surrendered your life to the Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Amen? 
God indeed suffers long, but he won't suffer always. You know, for the Christian, a lack of repentance in my daily life breaks fellowship. It renders me ineffective for the kingdom of God and it produces heartache. You know, if you're a believer and you're choosing, you know, we used to call it backsliding. Anybody from the 70s? You know what I'm talking about. It means you're old. Remember you called that? I'm ba- he's backsliding. He's a backslider, right? I'd always envision them like sliding on their back down a hill filled with mud or something, right? He's backslidden, right? And we used to call it that. He's backslidden. And as believers, there's times when we will rebel against God. Can I get an amen to that? But as believers, he will call us back. Now, if we continue on in that, we have broken fellowship with God. It harms our relationship, and our sin will have consequences. Now, for the unbeliever, a lack of repentance, a rejection of the Holy Spirit, drawing conviction, the choice to continue on in your sin and rebellion, forces righteous God to bring about the ultimate righteous judgment, which is separation from Him. I came to this church for the first time this week, and I'm just getting beat up like nobody... Okay, verse 22 and 23. When God's people won't stand for the truth, God will bring divine discipline. Look at verse 22 and 23. Indeed, I cast her into a sickbed, and those commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of them according to your works. Wow. Where's the grace in that verse? Well, there is. It's grace. Because here's what happens. It says into the sickbed, and some people say, what, did he give her the flu? No, I don't think so. Here's what I think happened. I believe that her being sexually immoral resulted in consequences that come when you're sexually immoral. Amen? So if you go out and you, all sin is sin, it's easy to pick on some over others, but, you know, if you're somebody who's really greedy and you you cheat on your taxes, uh, the IRS might come to your door and take you to jail. If you've got a drinking problem, you may drink so much you get cirrhosis of the liver. Amen? If you're, if you're sexually immoral and you're committing adultery and fornicating, you might come down with a sexually transmitted disease. There could be an unwanted pregnancy, and there could be a loss of your marriage. Amen? The point is that when we walk in habitual sin and we walk in open rebellion, then God's going to bring righteous judgment. When he's talking about our children, those who follow after her, those who are caught up in the same behavior and walking in it. And I will say this too, as parents and grandparents, our kids are watching the example that we set for them. Now we can't make them follow the Lord and they, can, they all have their own free will. And I know in this room we have parents who have kids who are in rebellion against God and they're prodigal sons and daughters and we pray that they will come home. But guys, we don't want to be, if they follow our example, it should be a godly one. And if they're not walking with the Lord, it should be because you're going contrary to our example, not following the example like Jezebel's children were, right? The people that follow after her, the people that saw her example and followed in it. You know, Jesus tells believers what he will do to rebellious Jezebel, as well as those who enter into her sin. And as Christians, we must be on guard so we don't enter into the sins of others. If you walk into a room and you hear a bunch of people gossiping, turn around and walk out, or rebuke them in Jesus' name, one or the other, amen? When you hear crude speech and behavior, walk away. Ungodly entertainment, drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever it is, walk away, amen? Flee it. Be like Joseph. Leave the coat behind. 
You become like those you hang out with, abandon ungodly friendships. Look, we want to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. We want to witness to everybody, but we don't fellowship with people that don't know God. Amen? I'll have, I'll have lunch with my next door neighbor that doesn't know the Lord, so I can talk to him about the Lord. But I don't run to him for godly counsel. Amen? And he's not, he, I don't go to him for, you know, to be an example in my life. Since consequences on Jezebel's uh, hard heart from the bed of adultery and fornication into the sickbed and still the case today, when you live a life outside of God's will, consequences are heavy. Amen? And we shouldn't be surprised when the consequences for living outside of the will of the God who created you are heavy. Repentance here is no doubt not only a phys from physical adultery, but the spiritual adultery as well as they were worshiping the false idols. And again, after those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, the way of the transgressor is hard. And you know what? It's good that it's hard because if it wasn't hard, we might just stay there. Amen? God knows what sin will do to our bodies, to our minds, to our spirits, and that's why he forbids it. Unless they repent of their deeds. Here we have the purpose behind divine discipline. It's to bring repentance. He disciplines us so we'll come home. He dis you know, why did he allow the, the, the prodigal son to end up in the pig slop? So that when he was in the pig slop, he would realize it was better to be a servant in my dad's house than to be eating slop with pigs. I want to go home. But notice when he went home, his father ran to greet him. Amen? And so praise God that in repentance, there is restoration. Again, whatever that sin is that you are struggling with, know the consequences come not because the Lord hates you, but because he loves you and he wants to draw you back into himself. Do you discipline your kids? Why? Because you love them. You don't want them to, you don't want them to continue on in that behavior. Let's, verse 23, it says there, I will kill her children again. God's righteous judgment upon Jezebel and her followers would serve as a solemn warning and example to all the churches not to tolerate evil. You tolerated evil. How did that work out for you? You guys brought in false teachers. Look what the end result was. And God brings about righteous judgment as a warning to all others. And again, the children were her followers to kill with death, with pestilence, with a disease or a plague. And all the, so that all the churches shall know, so heavy would this judgment be that it would get the attention of all the other Christian churches and serve as a heavy warning to not tolerate evil. There's some churches that need to heed that warning right about now. We're open and affirming. What does that mean? That means we condone sinful behavior and we're good with it. We'll celebrate it with you. We want to be loving and gracious and kind and merciful. Amen? But we do not want to open and affirm my sin, your sin, or anyone else's sin. Amen? It's ungodly. And it's saying that Jesus' death on the cross was meaningless. Again, I don't know about you, but what was this pastor thinking? My primary thought is, oh man, Lord, help me. I'm stumbling others. I'm bringing harm to your name. I'm facing your righteous judgment. Lord, help me. And that's the exhortation. Why is he saying this to the pastor? He's like, bro, what are you doing? Amen? He's shaking them to get them right back with the Lord and praise. And Lord, I pray, shake me when I need to be shaken. Amen? 
Notice he says, I'm the one who searches the minds and the hearts. God knows the motives behind what you do. Jesus is saying, I know every thought and every feeling you have, and you may fool man, but God knows your thoughts, and God knows your motivation when you're asking for seed offerings, right? It's, it's amazing how it's always planted in their garden, by the way. I'll give each one according to your works, based on what he has done. So Jesus knows the truth. He's behind our works and actions. He knows our motivations. He knows our thoughts. Let's finish up. Point number six there, the Lord will encourage the faithful to hold fast. So what it says in verse 24 and 25. Now to you, I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put you, I will put on you no other burdens, but hold fast that you have that what you have till I come. Say, look, those of you who are not involved in this, I'm not going to place the burden that I'm placing upon the rest in the church that are doing that. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Hold fast till I come. And guys, that's a word of encouragement for all of us. Let's hold fast to the truth of God's word until he comes. Amen? Let's be hanging on to Jesus with both hands and recognizing again, holding on to him until he returns for us. Look, nobody, well, I shouldn't say that. I think about heaven more than probably most people do. And the reason that I do is I have more and more people there that I love. And most importantly, the Lord's there whom I love. And I know that I'm going to stand before him one day and be accountable. And the good news is that this is but a vapor. My wife and I were talking about this. My wife just is about to turn 62. I'm about to turn 60. And I said, I'm glad I'm not turning 30. Most people want to be 30. I'm like, no, I don't want, no. I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, I'd like the Lord to return at 3 o'clock today. Can I get amen to that? But I don't want to spend 50 more years on this planet in Jesus' name unless the Lord wants me. Now, I want to come back with him and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. When he's on the throne, can I get an amen to that? No one's opening a firm and nothing in those days. Can I get an amen to that? But he's letting them know, as many of you do not have this doctrine, that the depths of Satan, right? That, you know, and by the way, the depths of Satan is always, always appears as a special revelation or a deeper truth. You get calls about the Kansas City prophets about once a year. The Kansas City prophets are going to be in town. You want them at your church? No. We got the Jerusalem prophets. They're right here. Can I get an amen to that? We got the Ephesian prophets. We got the word of God. And they're always, it's always, well, we have a deeper truth. you got to come to our church because we have a special knowledge that nobody else has. If nobody else has it, it's not true. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. We don't want it. Can I get an amen to that? And the exhortation here is, look, hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to this. Hold fast to the Word of God. Don't be swayed by what the world's doing. Don't be swayed by the culture. Don't be swayed by, by uh, you know, popularity with men or chasing after the things of this world that are all going to perish. Amen? Your flesh is never going to be satisfied. I said this on Thursday night. If you could have everything the world has to offer, if you could have all of it, all the fame, all the money, all the power, all the prestige, all the, the best looking, all, all of it. If you could have all of it, you still wouldn't be satisfied. You know why? Because only Jesus Christ can satisfy. 
Because he created you to have a relationship with him. And all that stuff is wood, hay, and stubble. They're fighting over deck chairs on the Titanic, right? The ship's going down. It won't mean anything in eternity. And what we need is a relationship with the Lord. Final point, the Lord will reward those who endure to the end. Let's read the last four verses as we close. As he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. What is he talking about? says that he shall rule with a rod of iron and be dashed to pieces like potter's vessel as I have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. So here's what he's talking about, and we'll see this as we're in the book of Revelation. Do you know there's a day coming when after we've been raptured, we will come back with the Lord, and then we will rule and reign with him upon the earth for a thousand years? Amen? And he's saying, look, those who endure to the end, those who remain steadfast, will rule and reign with me. Now, that is a uh, uh, leader I want to follow. Can I get an amen to that? Never disappoint you, never fail you, and hold fast to the truth and be faithful and keep your eyes on him and know that there's a day coming that we will rule and reign with him. As Christians, we can overcome and keep Jesus' work until the end. By his spirit, he not only calls us, but equips us to remain faithful. And he gives us power over the nations. And again, we're not looking for that. We just want to serve the Lord. And like, you know, people say this as we're closing here, people say, well, the Bible talks about getting crowns when we get to heaven. And most of us are like, as long as I'm there. (laughs) Anybody besides me, right? You know, I didn't have to have the mansion on Hallelujah Avenue. I can have the shack on, you know, on, on uh, you know, whatever highway down the, out on the outer skirts of heaven. As long as I'm there, I'm good, right? But you know what? The Bible says we should desire it. We should live in such a way because I believe every crown he gives us, we're going to throw back at his feet. And I don't want to come to heaven empty-handed because he's done everything for me, and I just want to serve him. I just want to serve him. That's all I want. Time when sin and evil will no longer be tolerated, and we're not living in that time yet, sadly. And then he says there again, they will be dashed to pieces. Righteous judgment is coming. It's a quotation from Psalm 2. It speaks the authority of the Messiah. In that day, the, the, the righteousness will be enforced, and those who rebel against the Lord will be dashed to pieces, like a clay pot hit with an iron bar. Jesus includes it here to give hope to the faithful Christians in Thyatira who felt overwhelmed. Remember, they can't work without compromising. And if they're not compromising, they may be struggling and they they may not have enough food for their children. He's letting them know, look, if you just remain faithful, you're going to have eternity with me. And all that will be taken away. All that will be dashed to pieces. All the evil will be gone. And again, the word rule there is to shepherd. We're going to shepherd with him. He's the good shepherd, right? We're not ruling and reigning. We're just shepherding the sheep that belong to him. Amen? He says, I will give you the morning star. Who's the bright and morning star? Who is that? That's Jesus. It says in Revelation 22, we'll get there. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He says, you know what I'm going to give you? If you remain steadfast to me, I'm going to give you me. Is there any greater thing than to have Jesus? Is there anything more valuable, anything more precious? Then last verse says, he was in ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says. These are those who, like Jezebel, lead others into sin. And again, we need to be careful because it applies to all of us that we need to listen. It applies to those who permitted Jezebel to work 
uh, to work her witness in the church. He's saying, take heed. It applies to those who will hold fast. And God has called us to be holy, to stand for truth, not to be tolerant of evil and of sin. So in closing, and thank you for your patience this morning, when God's people won't stand for truth, we've forgotten who's watching. Who's watching? Jesus. Our good works will not be enough to overcome our tolerance for evil. False teachers will go unchecked. Rebellious living will replace brokenness and repentance. God will bring divine discipline. The Lord will encourage the faithful to hold fast. And the Lord will reward those who endure to the end. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you, Lord, that you will bless those who endure to the end. But we know we can't endure without the empowering work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we can't do this on our own. Lord, there needs to be less of us and more of you. And may we learn from these examples, these exhortations that Jesus gave to the church in Thyatira, a church that had been corrupt because they lost sight of your word, because they elevated culture above your word. They became people of compromise and corruption and lost sight of intimate fellowship with you. They wouldn't stand for you because it might cost them something. Lord, and specifically for us as pastors, Lord, I pray that we would not lose sight that, Lord, we're going to be accountable one day for everything we allow to come before your people. You're the head of this church. This is your bride, and you're going to protect it. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Lord, I pray for everybody here this morning. If anybody here doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. The Bible says if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I know we've gone over a few minutes, but what really matters is eternity. Amen? And if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never made a public proclamation that you won't, don't want to just make him your Savior, but your Lord. If that's your desire, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are, and I want to pray a prayer with you. Anybody at all, don't leave here without him. He's a loving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God. I also wanted to ask this too. I know the hour is late. Guys, we cannot do any of what we're called to do without the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we need to be filled afresh day by day. And if you're here this morning and you know, look, I need to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. I just want you to stand right where you are and I want to pray for you. Anybody at all. I'm standing with you, by the way. Holy Spirit's with us in us or upon us. Lord, we want less of us and more of you. Lord, you see all of us who are standing before you, myself included, and Lord, we want less of us and more of you. And Lord, we know the things you've called us to do, but we also know we can't do it without you. Without you, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we pray, Lord, that there be less of us and more of you. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Stir up the gifts you've given us. Give us a supernatural love for a lost and a dying world. Help us to use the gifts you've given us for your kingdom and your glory. Lord, we pray for revival. And Lord, may it start in our hearts first. So we come humbly before you. We thank you that you've forgiven us. You've adopted us. You've accepted us. You've redeemed us. We're thankful, Lord, that we have the promise of eternal life. But Lord, when you come back, we want you to find us busy about your work. Lord, help us to, to finish strong with the time left we have on this planet. Help us to love people the way you love them, to share the truth and the hope that lies within us. Help us to be kind and loving and gracious, but also, Lord, to stand for the truth. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said...